Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. At some point in almost everyone's life, they feel unlovable, whether it be only for a fleeting moment or for a lifetime. On March 6, 1920, a woman named Martha Beck was born and, pretty early on, felt the crushing blows of feeling unlovable. Then, with the help of a Lonely Hearts Club ad, everything turned around for Martha in the most dangerous way possible. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Martha Jewel Seabrook was born on March 6, 1920, in Milton, Florida. From an early age, Martha was extremely overweight and underwent puberty prematurely, leaving her feeling unattractive, but with the sex drive of a much older woman at such a young age. She would later claim that, around this time, she was assaulted by her own brother, and when she went to her mother about it, she beat the young girl and blamed her for the rape. 
This was the same mother that constantly berated and made fun of her own daughter for her physical appearance. It was no surprise when Martha ran away as a teen. After she finished school, Martha tried to get a job as a nurse, but due to her looks, she was denied a job. So, knowing she didn't have to be slender and beautiful to work with the dead, she became an undertaker's assistant and helped to prepare the female bodies for burial. Soon, she quit this job and moved to California to work as a nurse in the army hospital. While there, she met and got pregnant by a soldier, whom she had only had one date with. And after he refused to marry her, she returned back to Florida, single and ready to have his child. But she couldn't let everyone in Milton know that she had a one-night stand. So she got herself a ring and told everyone about her deployed Navy officer husband, who should be back soon, and everyone could meet him then. After some time, a mysterious telegram came in and told her the horrible news, that her new husband had tragically died in the Pacific. The whole town mourned for Martha and even wrote stories about the loss in the local papers. In 1994, she gave birth to her daughter. Shortly thereafter, she became pregnant a second time by a man named Alfred Beck. They married but divorced after six months and she later gave birth to a son. She, a now single mother of two young children, retreated into a world of romance novels and dreamed that a man would soon sweep her off her feet. Around this time, while working at the Pensacola Hospital for Children, a co-worker with a nasty sense of humor sent out a Lonely Hearts Club ad on Martha's behalf. She was heartbroken, but leaned into the cruel joke and sent out a less-than-truthful ad of her own. In 1947, she got her one and only reply from a man named Raymond Fernandez. Raymond was born on December 17, 1914 in Hawaii, and soon after, his family relocated to Connecticut. In 1932, Raymond decided to go to Spain to live and work on his uncle's farm. This is where, at 20, he met and married a local woman. When World War II broke out, Raymond served with Spain's merchant marines and, after excelling there, joined the British intelligence and worked as an accomplished spy. Though, of course, not much is known about his time with this job. Once the war was over in 1945, Raymond decided to return to the U.S. and find a job. He planned on moving back alone, and once a job was secured, he would send for his wife and newborn son. He was given passage on a freighter headed to the Dutch West Indies when, in a freak accident, the steel hatch cover fell directly on Raymond's head, causing a severe indentation and brain damage. This accident, as friends and family were soon about to learn, drastically changed Raymond. He was known as a normal guy, socially adept, kind and courteous, but now he was distant, moody, and quick to anger. So with his new personality, Raymond left behind his family and moved to Alabama, but not before stealing some clothes off the ship and landing himself in federal prison for a year, where he met a Haitian man who taught him the ways of voodoo and black magic. Raymond believed with his new magic that he could make himself irresistible to women and was able to make love with women from great distances by placing magical powders inside of envelopes. He used this supernatural control and, beginning with his release in 1946, started answering Lonely Heart ads. But he didn't want to find love. He wanted to find a gullible woman, one who he could charm with his black magic, 
and take them for all that they were worth. Feeling embarrassed and ashamed, these women often left his theft unreported. He found a way to earn a living without working. This is how he crossed paths with Martha Beck. Believing that because she was a nurse, she had assets, he began his seduction complete with asking Martha for a lock of hair to perform his spell. When he finally met Martha on December 28, 1947, she was nervous that her weight would be an issue. Little did she know that his money-making scheme had no visual criteria, and the pair immediately fell in love. At least, Martha did. She wanted him to stay in Florida, but he claimed he had work to complete in New York. Once he was gone, Martha began telling everyone she was going to be the new Mrs. Raymond Fernandez. Her friends and family seemed happy for her, even planning a shower for the upcoming nuptials. But soon she got a letter from her future husband claiming that she must have misunderstood his feelings and that he would not be coming back to Florida to marry her. She was devastated and attempted to take her life. But after some persisting, Raymond agreed to let her visit him in New York. When she returned to work two weeks later, she was fired without explanation, packed up her kids, and showed up on Raymond's doorstep. He resisted her living with him, knowing it would ruin his budding theft career. But when Martha proved to be a doting companion who clung to his every word, he realized that she may be the perfect addition to his schemes. But the kids had to go. So Martha dropped them off on January 25th, 1948 at a Salvation Army and Raymond welcomed her home with open arms and a story to tell. He told her how he made his money and she agreed to love him and help him every step of the way. So together, the couple poured over the Lonely Heart ads and picked their next victim. He ran his usual schemes on the women and introduced Martha as his sister, a fact that left many women at ease. He would marry his target, and Martha would work hard to make sure that they never consummated these relationships. Once they got their money, they would leave these women penniless and alone. On a few occasions, these women would be drugged to calm an argument and, in some cases, didn't survive the night. In total, police believe this particular incident happened at least 20 times between 1947 and 1949, though they were never able to prove it. The money from their latest victim had been dwindling, so they chose their next victim, 66-year-old Janet Faye from Albany, New York. She and Raymond got engaged, and soon the happy couple and his sister were living in a Long Island apartment. Everything seemed okay for a bit, until Martha found Janet in the bed with Raymond. She flew into a murderous rage and strangled Janet to death. The pair bought a giant trunk and dumped the body inside, started at his sister's home for a time before 11 days later on January 15, 1949, burying it in the cellar of their rented home. They continued to type up and send Janet's family and friends letters explaining her lack of communication as a product of her happy married life. The problem was, Janet didn't own a typewriter and didn't even know how to use one. But by the time Janet's family grew suspicious, the couple had fled and moved on to their next victim in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This is where Delphine Downing lived with her two-year-old daughter. On February 28th, she flew into a rage after catching her new husband in a lie. And to quiet her down, Raymond fed her sleeping pills. Seeing her mother in a drug-induced stupor, her daughter began to cry uncontrollably, 
So Martha strangled the girl. Afraid that once Delphine woke and saw the bruises on her daughter that she would file charges, they simply killed Delphine and a few days later drowned her daughter to stop her from crying once and for all. After the murder of the young girl, the pair went out to a movie, enjoyed some popcorn and soda, and came home to find that a suspicious neighbor had called the police. They were arrested on March 1, 1949. Because Michigan carried no death penalty, the pair were sent back to New York to stand trial for Janet Faye's murder. The trial was filled with lurid details, sensational facts, sexual perversity, and comments about Martha's appearance. They were sentenced to death, and on March 8, 1951, the loving couple was sent to the electric chair. Both of their last words were professions of love to one another, Martha even claiming that death was just the end of their epic love story. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to see what terrible thing happened on May 7th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.